Remember Paul Harvey in the rest of the story? This is the story of the American Promise. One of Key Biscayne's founding fathers dies on Father's Day. My father, Roberto Cambo, passed away surrounded by all nine of his grandchildren and three sons while I was holding his hand in a human chain as we prayed the Lord's Prayer. For the non-believer out there, I can testify I remained holding his hand. I could feel his warm, radiant spirit pass through my arm. Then three seconds elapsed of last breath as he passed. Believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has risen and carried my father indeed. At the beach in front of the University of Miami Rosingteel School of Marine and Atmospheric Science on Virginia Key became a Key Biscayne legacy in its finality. My father met my mother, Teresita Romero, on that beach while she playfully fished with a nephew on vacation. Roberto offered to detangle the fishing line as if he was an avid fisherman with experience. This bought him time and opportunity to introduce himself. My mother expressed to me that she could tell that he was not a fisherman, but a hard worker, for he never gave up trying to fix the fishing pole quagmire. As he made gestures of self-actualization and pride, he pleaded with her to see him again. But with my grandfather Romero omnipresent as a chaperone, she declined. So then he proposed marriage, saying that if he accepted, he would promise her that ocean front. Months later, after both returned to Cuba separately, my father began visiting all the branches of the Royal Bank of Canada, where he knew she had worked. With a lease in his hand, he asked her to have lunch with his own mother. And so it was. They were married and rented a small apartment on the oceanfront one block from the Havana Riviera Hotel on El Malecón for $70 a month. By July 1959, my brother Robert was born. As the Castle Revolution took shape and declared all children of the revolution property of the state, my parents had a mad dash for the exit. My dad landed on a charter jet along with all the employees of the Riviera Hotel in 1960s. My mother was able to be transferred by the Royal Bank as an employee to the branch in Jamaica, where she volunteered to help as a Spanish-English translator between the bank and the Jamaican government as it processed numerous Cuban exiles. From there, emigration was my, in my father's hands. With letters addressed to the United States Council in Vedal, Cuba, from the Central Council and Council of the Hotel Soriento in Miami Beach, the employment letters requesting a visa were dated December the 31st, 1960, and also stated that my father's job paid $62.50 a week as a front desk clerk. On January the 3rd, 1961, there's another letter promising my mom employment as a telephone switchboard operator that will pay her $200 a month. The extraordinary quest that was to become my father and my mother's American dream had begun. With very little formal education in Cuba, my dad described self-employment in the produce industry as the only way to feed his family. He purchased a 1950 Mercury by bartering with the watch on his arm and proceeded to tear out the back seat to enlarge the trunk space. And with no capital to buy produce, he engaged a produce wholesaler named Joe Zalas with another proposition. 
Give me your worst produce every morning, sir, and I will return every afternoon with the profits. And so it went. Soon after, Mr. Zalas subleased a portion of his space at the produce plaza behind Jackson Memorial Hospital. Over the course of 20-hour workdays and the two decades that follow, my father purchased a house on South Master Drive on the ocean front that he had promised my mom back in 1957. He also purchased two warehouses abutting the railroad line on Northwest 21st and 23rd Streets. Upon its sale in 1984, Rocam Produce was the third largest wholesaler in Miami-Dade County, Broward County, and Monroe Counties. A merchant in heart, retirement at the age of 50 was not in the cards for my father. He ventured into residential real estate development. His second project was Presidential Corners on Southwest 12th Avenue in Little Havana. That thoroughfare was renamed Ronald Reagan Avenue after my dad petitioned the city of Miami to honor the 40th president lunch visit at the Esquina de Tejas restaurant that occurred on May the 20th, 1983. My father also purchased Key Biscayne Hardware soon after and Cape Florida Hardware from Mr. Bidri after Hurricane Andrew had damaged the inventories of both stores. He quickly abandoned the True Value and Service Star franchises for the Ace Hardware Co-op. And over the course of the next day, decade, he operated it until his death and expanded it to a freestanding commerce center at 800 Crandon Boulevard. Entrepreneurship was not his only acumen. Throughout his life as an American citizen, he cherished the virtues of self-reliance that only the Democratic Republic of America offers. He was relentless in his efforts to topple the dictatorship in Cuba. As a strong advocate for the small Republican Party of Dade County in 1970, he spent much of his time and resources in an effort to get political prisoners and dissidents out of Cuba. His shining moment came when President Reagan twice appointed him to the National Commission for Employment Policy. At the time, national unemployment was 11%. With one eye on freedom for Cuba and a strong anti-communist, Bent, he and my mother were instrumental in the founding of the Cuban-American National Foundation with a longtime friend, Jorge Mascanosa, and his friends. My mother, the only woman on the original board of directors, worked tirelessly on the Radio Martí PAC, a project to give the voice of democracy to the Cuban people. My father was always duly bound to apply his principles to her circumstances. While Castro's communists infiltrated Nicaragua supporting the Sandalista Revolution, my father organized a public fundraising rally at the Hialeah Racetrack with over 20,000 people in attendance. There he proclaimed Cuban exile financial support for the Contra Freedom Fighters. He demonstrated the same zeal as part of a syndicate that promoted the November 12, 1982 championship fight in the Orange Bowl between Nicaraguan boxing legend Alexis Arguello and Aaron Pryor. With this belief system, where small government and lower real estate tax were paramount, a desire to get involved in the fledgling 1970s effort to incorporate Key Biscayne came easy. Once the Ocean Club and Grand Bay developments were permitted in the late 80s, he knew the tax base would support excellent fire and police services and that his friends at the county would finally relent. In the first original charter writing commission meeting, it was Roberto Cambo who called the motion to name the new municipality the village of Key Biscayne. When asked why he chose 
the village, as a name, Roberto replied, My wife Teresita knew I was not a fisherman the moment we met, but she had no doubt that the disciples of Peter and Paul and the others were fishermen indeed. So a dad who did not have a dad to look up to became an extraordinary dad who was looked up to. He continued to work hard, creating a city and being a founding father of a small municipality that shares shores with Havana, Cuba, the village of Key Biscayne. He continued to breathe hard and work hard and breathe hard and work hard, long eight hospice days in the hospital. And he gave us a promise because we pleaded to die and depart on Father's Day. Rest in peace, Bobby. Paid in full. <laughs>